Hello, you've tuned in to The Bible Podcast, a show where we read through the Bible in just one year, a few chapters each day. And it is already June 1st. June, a month of weddings and flowers. Trees and shrubs are most often at their freshest during the month of June. And there are more flowers than at any other time of the year. June, especially, is the month of roses. In fact, June's special flower is the rose. The rose, one of the most beautiful of all flowers, is a symbol of fragrance and loveliness. Both the United States and Iran have chosen it as their national flower. Several states and a Canadian province have also selected the rose as their official flower. Washington, D.C. has the American Beauty Rose. Georgia chose the Cherokee Rose. The Wild Rose is the official flower of Iowa, North Dakota, and Alberta. Weddings also dominate the month of June. Some authorities believe the Romans named the month for Juno, the patron goddess of marriage. Others trace the name to a family name, Junius. The Junius family was powerful and important throughout the early history of ancient Rome. Regardless, from early Roman times, June was believed to be the best time for marriages. It is the sixth month of the year according to the Gregorian calendar, but was the fourth month in the early Roman calendar. The Romans later moved the beginning of the year to January 1st, making June the sixth month. June once had 29 days, but when the Roman statesman Julius Caesar reformed the calendar in 46 BC, he gave June 30 days. Spring ends and summer begins on June 20th, 21st, or 22nd in the Northern Hemisphere. And in the Southern Hemisphere, fall ends and winter begins during this month. The start of winter brings cold, rainy weather to that part of the world. In some regions of our part of the world, green fruit is just beginning to appear. Bees move from flower to flower gathering nectar. Baby birds of some species have hatched and their parents are kept busy bringing them food. It is a month of new life. During June, we will finish reading the book of Ezra, study Nehemiah and Esther, and then take on the oldest book in the Bible, Job. So June 1st, today's reading is Ezra chapters 7 and 8. Let's begin. Chapter 7. Many years later, during the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, there was a man named Ezra. He was the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Marioth, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the high priest. This Ezra was a scribe who was well versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given to the people of Israel. He came up to Jerusalem from Babylon, and the king gave him everything he asked for, because the gracious hand of the Lord his God was on him. Some of the people of Israel, as well as some of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and temple servants, traveled up to Jerusalem with him in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes' reign. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in August of that year. He had arranged to leave Babylon on April 8th, the first day of the new year, and he arrived in Jerusalem on August 4th, for the gracious hand of his God was on him. This was because Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. 
King Artaxerxes had given a copy of the following letter to Ezra, the priest and scribe, who studied and taught the commands and decrees of the Lord to Israel. From Artaxerxes, the king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law of the God of heaven, greetings. I decree that any of the people of Israel in my kingdom, including the priests and Levites, may volunteer to return to Jerusalem with you. I and my council of seven hereby instruct you to conduct an inquiry into the situation in Judah and Jerusalem, based on your God's law which is in your hand. We also commission you to take with you silver and gold which we are freely presenting as an offering to the God of Israel who lives in Jerusalem. Furthermore, you are to take any silver and gold that you may obtain from the province of Babylon, as well as the voluntary offerings of the people and the priests that are presented for the temple of their God in Jerusalem. These donations are to be used specifically for the purchase of bulls, rams, male lambs, and the appropriate grain offerings and liquid offerings, all of which will be offered on the altar of the temple of your God in Jerusalem. Any silver and gold that is left over may be used in whatever way you and your colleagues feel is the will of your God. But as for the cups we are entrusting to you for the service of the temple of your God, deliver them all to the God of Jerusalem. If you need anything else for your God's temple or for any similar needs, you may take it from the royal treasury. I, Artaxerxes the king, hereby send this decree to all the treasurers in the province west of the Euphrates River. You are to give Ezra, the priest and the teacher of the law of God of heaven, whatever he requests of you. You are to give him up to 7,500 pounds of silver, 500 bushels of wheat, 550 gallons of wine, 550 gallons of olive oil, and an unlimited supply of salt. Be careful to provide whatever the God of heaven demands for his temple, for why should we risk bringing God's anger against the realm of the king and his sons? I also decree that no priest, Levite, singer, gatekeeper, temple servant, or other worker in this temple of God will be required to pay tribute, customs, or tolls of any kind. And you, Ezra, are to use the wisdom your God has given you to appoint magistrates and judges who know your God's law to govern all the people in the province west of the Euphrates River. Teach the law to anyone who does not know it. Anyone who refuses to obey the law of your God and the law of the king will be punished immediately, either by death, banishment, confiscation of goods, or imprisonment. Verse 27, Ezra says, Praise the Lord, the God of our ancestors, who made the king want to beautify the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, and praise him for demonstrating such unfailing love to me by honoring me before the king, his council, and all his mighty nobles. I felt encouraged because the gracious hand of the Lord my God was on me. And I gathered some of the leaders of Israel to return with me to Jerusalem. Chapter 8 Here is a list of the family leaders and the genealogies of those who came with me from Babylon during the reign of King Artaxerxes. From the family of Phinehas, Gershom. From the family of Ithamar, Daniel. From the family of David, Hattush, a descendant of Shechaniah. From the family of Parosh, Zechariah, and 150 other men were registered. From the family of Pehath Moab, Eliahonai, son of Zerahiah, and 200 other men. From the family of Zatu, Shechaniah, son of Jehaziel, and 300 other men. From the family of Adin, Ebed, son of Jonathan, and 50 other men. From the family of Elam, Jeshiah, son of Athaliah, and 70 other men. 
from the family of Shaphatiah, Zebediah, son of Michael, and 80 other men. From the family of Joab, Obadiah, son of Jehiel, and 218 other men. From the family of Bani, Shalomith, son of Josephiah, and 160 other men. From the family of Bibai, Zechariah, son of Bibai, and 28 other men. From the family of Asgad, Johanan, son of Hakatan, and 110 other men. From the family of Adonikam, who came later, Eliphalet, Jeul, Shemaiah, and 60 other men. From the family of Bigvi, Uthai, Zakur, and 70 other men. I assembled the exiles at the Ahava Canal, and we camped there for three days while I went over the lists of the people and the priests who had arrived. I found that not one Levite had volunteered to come along, so I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jerob, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, who were leaders of the people. I also sent for Joyarib and Elnathan, who were men of discernment. I sent them to Edo, the leader of the Levites at Kasaphia, to ask him and his relatives and the temple servants to send us ministers for the temple of God at Jerusalem. Since the gracious hand of our God was on us, they sent us a man named Sherebiah along with 18 of his sons and brothers. He was a very astute man and a descendant of Mali, who was a descendant of Levi, son of Israel. They also sent Hashabiah together with Jeshiah from the descendants of Merari and 20 of his sons and brothers and 220 temple servants. The temple servants were assistants to the Levites, a group of temple workers first instituted by King David and his officials. They were all listed by name. And there, by the Ahava Canal, I gave orders for all of us to fast and humble ourselves before our God. We prayed that he would give us a safe journey and protect us, our children, and our gods as we traveled. For I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to accompany us and protect us from enemies along the way. After all, we had told the king, Our God's hand of protection is on all who worship him, but his fierce anger rages against those who abandon him. So we fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us, and he heard our prayer. I appointed twelve leaders of the priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and ten other priests to be in charge of transporting the silver, the gold, the gold bowls, and other items that the king, his council, his officials, and all the people of Israel had presented for the temple of God. I weighed the treasure as I gave it to them and found the totals to be as follows. 24 tons of silver, 7,500 pounds of silver articles, 7,500 pounds of gold, 20 gold bowls equal in value to 1,000 gold coins, two fine articles of polished bronze as precious as gold. And I said to these priests, you and these treasures have been set apart as holy to the Lord. This silver and gold is a voluntary offering to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. Guard these treasures well until you present them to the leading priests, the Levites and the leaders of Israel, who will weigh them at the storerooms of the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. So the priests and the Levites accepted the task of transporting these treasures of silver and gold to the temple of our God in Jerusalem. We broke camp at the Ahava Canal on April 19th and started off to Jerusalem. And the gracious hand of our God protected us and saved us from enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived safely in Jerusalem, where we rested for three days. 
On the fourth day after our arrival, the silver, gold, and other valuables were weighed at the temple of our God and entrusted to Merimoth, son of Uriah, the priest, and to Eleazar, son of Phinehas, along with Josabad, son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, son of Binuai, both of whom were Levites. Everything was accounted for by number and weight, and the total weight was officially recorded. Then the exiles who had come out of captivity sacrificed burnt offerings to the God of Israel. They presented 12 bulls for all the people of Israel, as well as 96 rams and 77 male lambs. They also offered 12 male goats as a sin offering. All this was given as a burnt offering to the Lord. The king's decrees were delivered to his highest officers and the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, who then cooperated by supporting the people and the temple of God. Ezra was a priest and a scribe of the high priestly line of Zadok. He was a leader in Judah following the Jews' return from exile. As a scribe, Ezra was not just a copyist, but a disciplined student of God's laws, who was qualified to teach, preach, and interpret the scriptures. As an important official who assisted the king with Jewish affairs in the Persian Empire, Ezra visited Jerusalem about 458 BC, bringing articles for the temple and the mission of establishing God's laws and the laws of Persia. One of his first reforms was to confront the sin of intermarriage with non-believers. Later, after the city walls were rebuilt in 445 BC, Ezra led the community to obey God's law more fully. Ezra honored God through his handling of finances. The Persian king trusted Ezra's judgment and allowed him to ask for more money when needed. Ezra gave others the responsibility for financial affairs whenever he could and required strict financial integrity of them. He identified certain financial resources as holy and belonging to God. Ezra humbled himself before God when the people began their journey. When he found out about their unholy marriages and when he gathered those who must divorce their unbelieving wives, he always recognized that God's gracious hand, not his own ability or wisdom, enabled good things to happen. He studied and lived by God's word and taught others to follow what God revealed. He was a teacher and a servant leader and not a self-important official who lorded it over other people. Ezra's piety and dedication through prayer and fasting put his reforming zeal in proper spiritual perspective. He set the pattern for life in the post-exilic Jewish community, making God's word and worship central priorities. Ezra came from Babylon, where there was still a substantial and prosperous Jewish community. The Hebrew term, translated scribe, is sometimes translated as secretary. It describes an educated and reliable individual who transcribed and interpreted official documents. Accordingly, many scholars think that Ezra functioned like a secretary of state for Jewish affairs in the Persian government. Here, however, the emphasis is on his scribal role of studying and teaching from the five books of Moses, also known as the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Looking back in history, a single heroic act can capture the imagination and greatly affect the people in history. That was certainly true with Captain James Lawrence, who died on this day in 1813. Lawrence was a United States naval officer who commanded the Chesapeake in an attack on the British ship Shannon during the War of 1812. 
The Shannon easily captured the Chesapeake and Lawrence was fatally wounded. After he was wounded, he gave the command, don't give up the ship. This determined and heroic statement by the dying captain became a watchword of the U.S. Navy and has inspired tenacity in the face of hostility ever since. When Haman planned the first Holocaust, Esther's heroic act of total devotion to God saved her people. Not only did Esther affect her generation, but no doubt had much to do with the fact that her husband's son, Artaxerxes, was favorably disposed towards God's people. Ezra found his task a lot easier because the pagan king was benevolent. Ezra's greatest contribution was his teaching, establishing and implementing the Book of the Law of the Lord among the returned Jews. Tradition says he authored Chronicles and Ezra Nehemiah. Ancient rabbis said if Moses had not received the law from God, Ezra would have. He is often called the father of Judaism. Looking deeper, the shadow of a life falls far into the future. Esther married Artaxerxes' father and probably greatly influenced the king, making him favorable toward the Jews. Those well-versed in God's word can make a significant difference in our world. Ezra had given himself to God's word and was now prepared to lead Israel in revival. God gives us favor so we can accomplish his tasks. Ezra had found great favor in the eyes of Artaxerxes, for God had moved on the heart of the pagan king. Praise should always follow answered prayer. Ezra led the people in a formal statement of praise to God for the miracles he had done in turning the heart of the king. When we go with God, we will be bold as lions. Ezra was unafraid to ask the pagan king for assistance because, as Ezra explained, the hand of the Lord was on me. Let's pray. Help me, Lord, to remember you have called me to a special and important task. Teach me more about your word so I will be properly prepared for the work you have for me. Amen. All right, saints, uh, looking forward to being with you tomorrow, uh, June 2nd, as we continue through Ezra, chapters 9 and 10.